Welcome to the Wrestling with Faith podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Tolliver. Join me as we go on a search for deeper faith and deeper community. Hey, everybody. On today's episode, we get the chance to listen in on the first lesson of our series, Wrestling with Faith. If you're joining us for the first time, I encourage you to go check out our introduction episode where we explain the purpose of this podcast. Today's episode is titled Bonus Material because it's taken live from the first lesson of our series. We understand that not all of our listeners can make it out to church with us, and we wanted to share the experience with you. In lesson one of our Wrestling with Faith series, Tacho Coronado tackles the first step in deepening our faith wrestling with our ego. Go ahead and grab your Bible and make sure to take some notes as we dive into the Bible together. Part one, here we go. So the the first, it might seem a little abrasive, right? But the first part of wrestling is wrestling with your ego. You know, an ego can be defined as a person's sense of self-importance. And what we're going to be diving into in particular is overinflated egos. Why start here, right? Why not start with God is awesome or, you know, which we will get into in just a bit. But why not start with something a little more peppy or upbeat? And I think this quote to me sums it up. I was uh, punched to the gut when I read this. An egocentric person tries to make life revolve around himself or herself. He puts himself in the center of life and expects life to serve and gratify him instead of being willing to be the servant of all. He worships himself and acknowledges no greater authority in his life than his own wants. Sheesh! I was up in the Northeast and someone did that the other day. I'm like, I'm going to steal that one. Or as the Bible puts it, and by the way, this, uh, I'm going to leave these books up here. This one, The Man Who Wrestled With God by John Sanford. He studied psychology and he's a priest of all things. So he kind of meshes the two worlds in a really cool way. A lot of what we're going to be talking about tonight comes from this. But as God puts it, Psalm chapter 10, verse 4, In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. You know, I'm excited about all the God stories and the faith stories that we're going to be hearing over the next couple of months. I'm excited to hear about the breakthroughs in our faith and in our walk with God and in our marriages and of all the people that are going to be reached as a result of our faith deepening. But the truth is, if your life revolves around you, and your ego, and your opinions, that's not going to happen. As the psalm said, we can't worship God and ourselves. We have to choose. So all that to say, I'm excited. Herb in our group said, he's like, this sounds funny, but I'm excited for the end. I'm like, well, me too. I'm excited to figure out how we can be a blessing, how we can become Israel. But the truth is, The wrestling match starts with yourself. It starts with our own feelings, 
our own opinions, our own ego. You know, this author put the ego into four different categories. So I'm going to quickly run through that before we dive into the story of Jacob. The first category of the ego he defined as the star. The star is the person who loves the limelight, loves being up in front and, you know, all the pictures, whatever. This person can be boastful of their accomplishments. You know, like those conversations where immediately every topic ends up being about that person. That's the star. Um, An unhealthy desire for glory. So that's what the star is defined by. The second one is called the clinging vine. This person appears to be humble because they're always asking questions, always asking for help, always asking to hang out, whatever. But they do all of those things to avoid taking responsibility. They take more than they give, and ultimately they're over-dependent people. The turtle... Man, this always makes me think of uh, Master of Disguise, the turtle, turtle. I actually hated that movie, but I can never get that thing out of my head. Okay, I'm sorry. I know that offended some of us. The turtle. The turtle is someone who's guarded. When they start prodding about how they're doing in their life, instead of being open and talking about it, they kind of shrink back into their shell, and they only reveal the good things about themselves rather than what's actually going on in their lives. This person hides from Life hides from genuine relationships, and as I mentioned, they just simply don't let people in. The Nero, this person loves being in control, loves having the answers, loves being in charge, often make good leaders, but they're easily threatened when someone else has better ideas than them, when someone else is more talented or knowledgeable than them, and they have an unhealthy desire to dominate. I got to say, when I read through those, I was like, uh, is there a category for all of the above? I'm like, I'm like all those people. You know, but regardless of which one you are, they all have a few things in common. Number one, they all have emptiness in common because they're always looking for something to fill their egos with other than God. And it always ends up being empty. There's a lot of pain involved in that. You know, you don't often spend a lot of time thinking about a particular part of your body unless it's hurt, right? Like if your foot hurts, like, man, my foot really hurts today or my back really hurts today and it draws a lot of attention to itself. If we're constantly thinking about what people think about us, how they're talking about us, that's probably an indicator that our ego is overinflated. Busyness, because we're constantly comparing, trying to one-up each other, it's, the, the ego is never satisfied, so it's always busy. And lastly, it's fragility. An, an overinflated ego easily pops. And we have to ask ourselves, okay, is living for myself actually more enjoyable? Maybe in the, in the short run, but in the long run, is living for myself actually what I want in life? And I think about what God wants for our life. He wants us to be Full. In fact, the Bible says Jesus came so that we can have life to the full, not to have these empty lives, to have peace, to have freedom, to have confidence. Another fantastic book, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. I think it's a must-read for every disciple of Jesus, and it's like a tiny little pamphlet. It's like 40 pages. Incredible. But it's so true. The, The whole point is not to think less of yourself. It's to think of yourself less. Yeah. And when we do that, there's so much 
freedom. And that's what God wants for your life. And maybe you're looking at this chart going, star, clinging vine, turtle, Nero, what's all this nonsense? Maybe SpongeBob will speak a little bit more to you. This was like one of the most iconic episodes of my upbringing where he was like, you know what, I'm no wimp, I'm a jerk. And so he starts, and he like blows up his, his massive muscles. But do you remember what happened in the following scene? Ooh. That's exactly what happens with our ego. When our egos are overinflated, they easily pop. What do I mean by that? Gentle correction becomes an earth-shattering existential crisis. It's like, bro, I was just saying that maybe, uh, maybe you should read your Bible a little bit more often. Bro, I was just saying, maybe you should ask a little more questions. It's like, oh my gosh, am I a Christian? And woe is me. And bro, that really hurt my feelings and whatever. It's like, dude, we, we got to be able to talk. I'm not trying to hurt you. Probably a sign of an overinflated ego. When a person more talented or knowledgeable than you becomes a threat rather than a mentor. When we find ourselves in conflict with others frequently because our opinions and feelings matter most. I love this one. We find ourselves running rather than resolving. We'll look at that in just a bit. We find ourselves upset or angry because our advice wasn't taken. We disengage our heart because we're not going with my plan. All of these are a sign of an overinflated ego. And God has some cool solutions for this. Cool, not in the moment, but in hindsight. Suffering in the wilderness experiences of our life, where we really are wrestling with God's love for us. What am I doing with my life? How have I gotten this far? Wilderness experiences have a way of exposing what's in our hearts. Recognizing God's sovereignty in our life. Man, when God chooses to humble us, we're like, God, I surrender. It's like, I'm not in control of my own life. There's a way of knowing, man, there's a higher power, God sovereign in my life. That does something to our humility. And lastly, learning to love someone else more than yourself. Man, having a roommate, that really starts to humble us. Having a spouse, that really starts to humble us. The irony in all this is that Jacob goes through all of these things. He flees to the wilderness. God reveals himself to him in all of his pride, and he falls in love. We're going to look at a couple of those tonight. Let's dive into Jacob. I think we've laid enough groundwork for tonight. In Genesis chapter 25, we're not going to be able to read the entire chapter tonight, but something that I just want to summarize you might have read the story of Jacob many times. As Herb said, you've probably heard this in Kids' Kingdom or growing up if we went to church. But if you're new tonight and you're figuring out, okay, who is this Jacob guy and what is Israel and all of that, then here, here, this is for you. So from the beginning, there was a man named Abraham that God went, you know what, I want to choose you to partner with you to be a blessing to all nations. I want to use you to reestablish my covenant to be a blessing to all people. His son was Isaac, who the famous story was that Abraham almost sacrificed him and then God saved him. Isaac then had two sons, Jacob and Esau. And in the womb, Jacob was grasping his twin brother's heel, which is where he gets his name, Jacob. 
heel grasper, which is a metaphor for taking things into our own hands, trying to get ahead in life, deceiving, whatever. That's where Jacob comes from. So from the beginning of time, there's a tension between Jacob and Esau. We're going to look at a lot um, into that relationship throughout the next couple of months. The very first words that we see Jacob saying to his brother is, sell me your birthright now. Later, swear to me now. So that shows you a lot of ego there. A birthright essentially was where um, the oldest brother, which should have been Esau, has all the honor in the family. The father passes on his legacy to him, and he goes on to lead the family. But it was the blessing that Jacob was even more after, which was an irreversible verbal legacy that the father, in this case Isaac, would give to the children, or it should have been Esau. Jacob steals it, which we're going to study in just a bit. And where we're going to pick it up in the story here is where Jacob's mom overhears Rachel, I'm sorry, overhears Isaac, who was Jacob's dad, telling Esau, I'm about to die, so I need you to go find me a meal, bring it to me, and I'm going to give you this promised blessing that is rightfully yours. So Rachel hears this and goes, okay, I need to tell Jacob so that Jacob can receive the blessing. So what we're picking it up now is where Jacob responds to his mom. And we're going to see that Jacob was a little apprehensive, but he goes for it nonetheless. Let's dive into Genesis chapter 27 together. How are we doing tonight? All right. Verse 11, he's responding to his mom here. Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, but my brother Esau is a hairy man. Well, I have smooth skin. What if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him, and you would bring, he would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. His mother said to him, My son, let the curse fall on me. Just do what I say. Go and get them for me. So he went and got them and bought them to his mother, and she prepared some tasty food just the way his father liked it. Then Rebekah took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she had in the house, and put them on her younger son, Jacob. She also covered his hand and the smooth part of the neck with the goatskins. Then she handed her son, Jacob, the tasty food and the bread that she had made. He went to his father and said, My father, yes, my son, he answered, Who is it? Jacob said to the father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac asked his son, how did you find it so quickly, my son? The Lord, your God, gave me success, he replied. Then Isaac said to Jacob, come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. Jacob went close to his father Isaac when he touched him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob but the hands were the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau, so he proceeded to bless them. Are you really my son Esau, he asked? I am, he replied. Then he said, my son, bring me some of your game to eat, so that I may give you my blessing. Jacob brought it to him, and he ate, and he brought some wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went to him and kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him. 
Later on, Esau finds out about this, and so Rebekah again tells her son Jacob, your brother Esau is planning to avenge himself by killing you. Now then, my son, do what I say. Flee at once to my brother Laban in Haran. Wow, there's, there's a lot here, and we don't have time to dive into everything, but I want to point out a couple of things in, Esau, I'm sorry, in Jacob's ego that are very applicable to us. First of all, look back at verse 12. When he's contemplating, should I trick my dad or not? The first thing he says is this, I would appear to be tricking him and would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. Dude, you're about to trick your blind dad, lie to him, steal from your brother, and all you're concerned with, I might get cursed here instead of a blessing. I mean, immediately we, we get a window into his ego. The second thing that I find incredibly fascinating was that he became someone he wasn't to get what he wanted. He put on this fur, this skin. When he was asked, who are you? His response was, I, I'm Esau. He pretended to be someone that he was not. His overinflated ego polluted his identity. The last thing I'll say is whenever his father asks him, how did you get this so quickly? He says, the Lord, your God, gave me success. A self-centered man has no other God other than himself. And he deceived his dad, betrayed his dad with the kiss which we later see some overtones of that with Judas. You know, Jacob's desire to dominate, to be in control, to receive power, led him to run rather than reconcile. His overinflated ego was starting to pop and fear was starting to settle in. He started to look like this guy. You know, I've shared this story with you guys, and I, I can't help but share this again as we're talking about ego and what that looks like to wrestle with it and to overcome. And I've been thinking a lot about what I've shared with you guys before, and this happened last summer. Mike and Amberjee came into the Young Professionals Ministry to really be in Israel to us, to be a blessing to us. They had some incredible ideas. Just to list a couple, they had some incredible ideas for sermons where I've had people come back and tell me, man, those were some of, the, some of the most impactful sermons that I think we've had in our YoPro ministry. The other idea that Mike had was the Fall Fest, literally the, the best YoPro event that we've ever had stemmed from those conversations that I was having. Now, I want to let you guys have a window into my character. Coming up from campus and becoming a Bible talk leader and becoming a minister, a lot of people would compliment, you're just a really humble guy, man. I really, I really attribute your success to your humility. And what started to happen was that I started to buy into my own press. I am a pretty humble guy. And yeah, I don't think I am that prideful. And what that interaction back in the summer really revealed, and for those of you guys that haven't been around or didn't hear that, instead of my response being, you know what? You've been doing ministry longer than I've been alive. That's a great idea. I need to put that into practice. It was met with, well, I've kind of already done that one, and I don't really know how that one will go over, and this all seems kind of sudden. I was, I was SpongeBob. I was the overinflated ego, the overinflated balloon that so quickly popped, and it took I mean, man, I had some life-giving conversations with, with Nick, 
some great apologies with Mike. And I remember coming home after one conversation and just reading the Prideful Soul's Guide to Humility and just weeping and going, man, I am so arrogant. I am so sensitive because my ego is so overinflated. What, what meant to be so much help and an inspiration became an entire attack on my heart, on my character, on the way that I thought, on, on my performance. And it made me think a lot about the Psalms and, and how pride really is blinding. When pride creeps into our lives, we stop seeing things clearly. When our egos are so overinflated, we start trading out our perspective with God's perspective. And that's a scary place to be. You know, we talked about the different types of egos. That's how I wrestle with mine and continue to wrestle with mine. What is it for you? How do you wrestle with your ego? You know, maybe one of those four types resonated with you. Maybe you're the star type that loves being the center of attention. Every conversation you have becomes about you. Maybe you're the clinging vine where you're over-dependent on people and trying to receive security from people and relationships rather than from God. Maybe you're the turtle. Man, maybe you have some incredible people in your life that want to help you, that are in there asking the good questions, giving the great advice that you need, but rather than letting yourself be known, you hide back into your shell and you refuse to let people know the real you. Those, those of us that are single, but also those of us who are married. So easy to be a two-headed turtle when we're married, where we shrink back into our one shell together rather than going, hey, here's who we are. Here's our strengths, but here's our weaknesses, and we need help here. I, I need advice. We become the turtle. Maybe it's Nero where you have to be the guy in charge. And if you're not, man, I'm going to critique on the sidelines with my arms crossed rather than being a team player on the field. You know, there's a lot of ways that I think our egos come out. But one that I think is the most tragic, I'm going to ask, how many of us have been Christians for longer than five years? Okay, good portion of the room. One of the things that I think really disrupts our faith is a been there, done that mentality. I've been to the Bible talks, bro. I, I, I've, I've done the discipling thing, bro. I, I've done the midweek. That, bro, I've, I know the lessons. I know the talks. I, I, I know all that. When that becomes our heart, you better watch out. You better watch out. One of the things that this mentality leads to is that we stop expecting great things to happen. Why do the quiet time thing? I've already done that before. Instead of getting up and going, man, God's word is awesome. God's word still speaks to my life. I've read this before, but his spirit is alive. I mean, we start with the word of God study. His word is alive and active. Do you believe that? Is that reflected in your times with God? We become consumers of church rather than contributors. Closed off to help. The mentality of, well, I can only learn from the elders or those that have been around for 45 years. You know, Tom Ziegler did our, our young dad's class on Saturday morning. And one of the things he told us was to get advice from everyone. As a dad, 
get, get advice from single people. Get advice from the teens. Get advice from other marriages. Get advice from parents. Because when you're humble, it doesn't matter who you're getting input from. They have the spirit of God in them and your heart is willing to learn. God's going to use that. But once we stop with that mentality, our faith starts to really, really plummet. Your need for God and the kingdom must never wane in our lives. I want to end with this. Because we can think, okay, man, I have some things to wrestle with here. And that's the whole point of this series. Maybe there's some areas right now where you're going, okay, there's some things. Enough about us for a second. Where's God? My favorite thing about this part of the series that we're about to dive into is God's activity in Jacob's life. Man, you would expect God to totally disengage. Man, forget that pride bag. Forget that lying lunatic, that cheater, that whatever. You know, it's funny. Me and Josh were talking about this earlier. Whenever you're, like, around someone that's just, like, so into themselves, you're just like, bro, I'm not even going to bother with that. Like, I'm just going to go somewhere else. And we would expect God to do the same, but instead we see the exact opposite. And we're going to end here tonight. Genesis chapter 28. So this is after he cheated his dad, after he, he, he left, to, he set out for the wilderness to meet his uncle. Um, but here we're going to pick it up in verse 10 of Genesis chapter 28. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the Lord of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. And I love this. I will, I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Later, he says, I'm going to jump down to verse 20. He made a vow saying, if God will be with me and watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I will return safely to my father's household. Interesting. There's a desire to go back home. The Lord said, I will be. Then the Lord said, well, then the Lord will be my God and the stone I have set up as a pillar will be God's house and all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. A certain place, nothing significant, not this incredible temple, not this incredible altar, whatever. A certain place, middle of nowhere, in the middle of the desert, God chose to meet him. God will meet you wherever you're at. God will meet you wherever you're at. In the midst of your sin, in the midst of the ugliness, in the midst of the ego, in fact, he says, I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. God is good. God is faithful. And because of that faithfulness, we can turn a corner. 
And we see it in Jacob. Jacob starts to turn a corner. He's like, okay, God is pretty awesome. You know what? If, if, if you will protect me, then you'll be my God, right? And we've all been there in our faith before, right? Like, God, if you give me an A on this test, then I'll go to church on Sunday. Or, man, if, if you give me a wife, then I'll be more faithful to you, whatever. We've all prayed those types of prayers. And maybe that's where you're at tonight. Maybe this is your first night and you're going, whoa, what is this? That's okay. God will meet you where you're at. Keep seeking, keep searching. You will find him. Maybe you're studying the Bible and you're trying to figure out, man, am I going to live for myself or am I going to live for God? And you're wrestling with that question. Keep wrestling. You will find him. Maybe you're in the honeymoon. You got baptized a couple of months ago and life is awesome. Enjoy that season. Don't try to put yourself in another season that you're not in. Enjoy the honeymoon phase. But maybe you're in here and the honeymoon has ended. I'm not as fired up about my faith. I'm not as fired up about God. I'm not as fired up about church. I'm not as fired up, whatever. Maybe you're wrestling with that. My encouragement is don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Keep wrestling. Choose to recommit. I was talking with someone the other day. He's like, man, I feel like you have to kind of recount the cost in different seasons that you're in. That's exactly right. If you're there tonight, go back to the basics. Connect with God every day. Be real with the people in your life. And I know you've heard this, but do it. Connect with God. Be real with people. God is leaning in regardless of where you're at. And just as he told Jacob, I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. He's saying that to you. I will never leave you. Will you say the same to God? Will you say the same to God? I want to leave us with some guiding principles as we close out to wrestle. Number one, and we're closing here. Acknowledge where your ego is competing with Jesus's Lordship. Where are my opinions, where are my feelings superseding the word of God? Number two, I want to encourage us all to wrestle with humility. Don't stop having opinions. Don't stop having feelings. That, that's not the solution, but wrestle with humility. Maybe I'm wrong here. Let me seek to understand. Do my feelings and words and opinions, whatever, does all that align with the word of God? And lastly, intentionally pursue a God-centric life. Guys, you can do this. Choose to engage your heart. Choose to wrestle. Choose to surrender any hints of egocentricity and submit to a God-centric life. This is the first step of overcoming and becoming the Israel that God is transforming you into. Thank you, guys. Look forward to the next couple of months. Well, there you have it. This is the start of an incredible journey. Thank you, Tacho, for leading the charge on reminding us that God believes in us and simply wants our heart. I know I'm walking away with a lot to grow in. As we end today's episode, I have two questions for you to meditate on. Number one, is there an area in my ego that I need to wrestle with? How can I approach this with humility? Number two, how does God's presence and faithfulness give me the confidence and motivation to wrestle? 
take some time to ponder on that today and ask God how he can lead you into deeper faith and deeper community. That's it for today's episode. We'll see you next time on the Wrestling With Faith podcast.